There we go. Oh, okay, excuse me. Where do I need to be? Down in the middle. All this high-tech stuff and uh, Facebook Live. Uh, so, uh, welcome. Good to see you all here. And I guess uh, there's still some trickling in. And uh, just want to welcome everyone to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. And our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. So Alex is still on sabbatical. Continue to pray for him. Um, just that it would be a time of refreshment and renewal as, as he enjoys that. We'll have Bill Nash in the, in the pulpit today. Um, and if you're a guest, we welcome you. Uh, thank you so much. You could be a lot of different places doing a lot of different things. Uh, but we are uh, thankful that you've chosen to come join us in worship and to hear from God's word. Um, just so we have, can get you more information out in the, the narthex, the lobby, uh, out by the information desk, is uh, we have some more information for you, so please uh, drop by that. And uh, one of the unique things, if you're from a traditional church background where they pass the plate and that, uh, we don't do that here, but we still view it as a, a, a critical part of our worship. And so if you would like to give in, of your tithes and offering, um, there's a collection plate at the very back just right before you go back out into the narthex. Um, on our website, if you go to enterthevillage.net, there's a give tab that you can click on. Or uh, uh, you can mail that to the church, and the address is in the, in the, uh, in the bulletin. Um, we're continuing to do our time of corporate worship, or excuse me, corporate prayers on Wednesday evening. And if you can't make it in person, um, we do that on Facebook or on uh, Zoom. And the, uh, the link is sent out each week via Flocknote. And speaking of Flocknote, that's our primary means of communicating to the congregation. Um, so if, uh, all the information about how to be added to that is in the bulletin. So we encourage you to do that and uh, be aware of that. Uh, under the auspices of the uh, men's ministry, we're doing uh, uh, work evenings throughout the month of August, every Thursday evening from 5.30 to 7, just doing some maintenance, cleanup around the property, and some projects, that, some of which are a little overdue. So if you'd like to be a part of that, 5.30 each Thursday uh, during the month of August. And uh, we sort of culminate that with a little uh, pizza fellowship on the tail end of that. So we uh, encourage you to stick around for that. And especially if you're new to the congregation, great opportunity to get to know some of the other men. Uh, child care is not provided for that, but you're welcome to bring your kids. They can play on the playground, or if they're old enough, they can uh, help out with some of the, the projects there. Also, well, we have a lot of announcements today. Uh, reminder, uh, if, if you currently uh, or in the past have uh, been involved in the nursery or children's ministry, or you are even contemplating that or thinking uh, about that in the future, uh, we do have some requirements under the, uh, the National Children's Advocate, uh, Advocacy Center, and there's some really brief training that we uh, just due diligence need to uh, provide that. So if you'd like more information, um, there, the, the point of contact, there's some sheets of paper out in the narthex. If you have any questions about that or what that entails or just um, other questions, uh, the two point of contacts are on those sheets. Um, and also, uh, for those uh, parents with small children that maybe um, want to put your children in the nursery during the, the uh, service in the future, um, we have a detailed description of the protocol 
due to COVID of what we're going to be doing and sort of the processes uh, that are associated with that. That's also out there in the, uh, the Narthex. Uh, Robert Blevins, uh, who has a, a strong background in mercy and care ministry, is going to be providing training uh, to our current deacons. But we want to open that up to everybody. So if you are interested maybe in the future serving as a deacon, if you're currently serving in the uh, mercy and care uh, realm or, or team, or you might want to do that in the future, we encourage you to come to that. The information is in the, uh, the bulletin. It's going to kick off on August 29th. But we do need sort of a head count, if you will. So if you're interested in doing that, um, if you could send an email to deacons, at enterthevillage.net just so they uh, know you're coming and uh, from uh, materials and and that uh, be ready for you. Also, we've got an Enter the Village class coming up uh, next month. And if uh, that's primarily for people who are interested in joining the church. But even if you're at a place where you just like to know what this church is all about, that's a great opportunity to get exposed to that, ask any questions you have. Um, and that's sort of a deep dive into who we are as a church. So we encourage you to do that. There's a sign-up sheet out in the Narthex, and I believe that is it. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> so if you're like me, this past week was absolutely crazy. And a lot of times I walk into church and I bring that craziness and, you know, all that uh, as we come in here. And uh, so let's just pause for a moment. Let me pray for us that God would just prepare our hearts uh, for what we're going to hear from his word uh, and prepare our hearts just to enter in to a time of worship uh, collectively as a congregation, as brothers and sisters, that God would prepare our hearts for that. So let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for the gift of another day. Uh, Father, I, I confess all too often I take what is uh, simple and expected um, and uh, just miss out on what an incredible gift each and every day is. Thank you for the privilege uh, to join with our brothers and sisters, to hear from your word, uh, to join together, to just um, join hearts together, to worship you, to focus on who you are as the great and mighty God, of the God of the universe, the God who just with mere words spoke all that we see and perceive into existence. That's remarkable. Uh, Father, we just thank you just uh, for the, the blessings that you bestow on us every day. And, Father, just through this time of worship, Father, I pray that uh, you would just catch a glimpse of our hearts and how much we, we love you, uh, we are thankful for you, and we just want to praise you, Father. Uh, it, it's remarkable. You say if we don't, you could even cause the rocks to cry out. Uh, so, Father, we thank you for that privilege, and we pray that we would not take that lightly. And we would just, through it all, Father, we would remember that what we're doing right now, what I'm, the words I'm uttering now, Father, is because of the completed work of Christ Jesus, that we can come before your throne. And, and, and Father, it, it, it is mind-boggling that you call us to come before your throne boldly. And, Father, I know there's nothing in me save Christ and your spirit that gives me any basis to come before your throne and so Father I thank you for that privilege so Father uh, your word tells us that you inhabit the praise of your people so Father we invite you to do that 
And Father, I pray that uh, when we walk away from here later on this morning, Father, that we catch a glimpse of you that's new and fresh, that we'd fall more deeply in love with you and get to know you just a little bit better. So, Father, we commit this time to you and pray that it would bring a smile to your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Well, if you'd like to stand, you're welcome to. Um, We're going to sing a few songs together, and uh, it's great to, to see you all here. Thank you, Steve, for that encouragement. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of our King rise among us. Let it rise. Sing that again. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of our King Rise among us, let it rise. Oh, let it rise. Let our songs rise. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the joy of our King rise among us. Let it rise. Let the songs, let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the songs of the Lord rise among us. Let the joy of our King rise among us. Let it rise. joy of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of our King rise among us. Let it rise. Let the glory, let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of our King Rise among us, let it rise. Oh, and let it rise. Amen. Well, if you're not standing, I invite you to stand and let's, uh, if you have your bulletin, or I think it'll be up there, we're going to do our call to worship. So I'll read where it says leader, and then uh, you read where it says congregation and all. This is from the song, He is Exalted. He is exalted. The King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is the Lord. Forever His truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in His holy name. 
He is exalted. The king is exalted on high. He is exalted. The king is exalted on high. Amen. Um, You may be familiar with these lyrics coming up in this next song, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love. But the melody may be new to most of you, but it's easy to catch. So I encourage you to sing along about um, the atonement that we have through Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer.
Sorry, trying to get organized in this tiny uh, thing here. So we're good, though. We're all good. Don't worry. No worries here. Um, I did. I know Steve mentioned uh, Bill Nash. And I just wanted to second what he said. We're so glad you're here with your family. It's awesome to see all of y'all. And uh, Bill's been with us many times before, and it's just always great to hear hear a word from him. So thank you, brother, for being here. Um. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you have searched us and known us. You know when we sit down and when we rise up. You understand our thoughts from afar. You scrutinize our path and our lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of our ways. Even before there's a word on our tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed us behind and before and laid your hand upon us. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us. It's too high. We cannot attain to it. Where can we go from your spirit or where can we flee from your presence? If we ascend to heaven, you are there. If we make our bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If we take the wings of the dawn and dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead us and your right hand will lay hold of us. For you formed our inward parts. You wove us in our mother's wombs. We will give thanks to you, for we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Well, Father, these ancient words still resonate with us today because we recognize your majesty, your power, how you spoke the very creation into existence by a word for Jesus. How is that even possible? Your thoughts are too high for us. Yet, you sent your son Jesus into this world to explain it to us. The love so deep, so vast, that you would actually step into this world, take our sin upon you in Jesus and give us in exchange your righteousness it is a mind blowing and awesome thing Father but we stand here in awe and in praise of you thank you Father in the name of Jesus Amen Our scripture reading comes from Matthew 21, 
And it's going to be a long one also, which is great. (laughs) It's always good when you get to read the word together. So it's Matthew 21, the entire uh, chapter. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Uh, This took place to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road. And others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he had done, And the people who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Now in the morning when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, How did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, You will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to the mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing which, if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source, from heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. He also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. 
But what do you think? A man has two sons, and he came to the first and said, and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, and you seeing this did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it to the vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to some other vine growers who will pay him proceeds at the proper seasons. And Jesus said to them, did you never read in scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, his parable, they understood that he was speaking about them. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. The word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Father God, there are just many people here who are just feeling broken right now. Father, we just need you. We cry out to you. We need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your healing. You are a strong tower, Father. Help us to find refuge in you. When the world seeks to break us, 
us to just fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Father, we just thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you we can come to this place, to the mercy seat, and plead to you. So, Father, here in this place, we cry out to you. Have mercy on us. In the name of Jesus, amen.
when I don't see it, even when I don't see it's your work, even when I don't feel it's your work, and you never stop, you never stop working, you never stop, you never stop working, even when I don't see it's your work, even when I don't feel it's your work, and you never stop, you never stop working, you never stop you never stop working. God, we thank you that though we can't see your plans, oftentimes, though sometimes we find ourselves just in a valley where it seems like we're alone, 
think we can claim truth through the fact that we're not alone, that when there seems to be no way, that you're there, and you don't just leave us in our shame or leave us in our sin or leave us without hope. But God, you provided peace through the person of Christ, and um, we can just rest in that, knowing that we don't have to worry because you've got us. Thank you that you provided a way for us through Christ and that we're not alone now. May your word continue to become alive to us this morning through the sermon and through our just our fellowship with our brothers and sisters here today. In your name we pray. Hang tight. I'll get there. Okay. <clears throat> Thanks, Richard, for reading the whole chapter. That was awesome. And I'm, that was my assignment was the whole chapter. And you read it. And um, But I just picked one part of it. But it's good that you read the whole thing. But um, so I'm going to set that here. But um, let me seriously, let me pray. I really need to be focused on the Lord, and present the truth that he's shown me this week. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, my prayer is that you would, as you've brought me to the foot of the cross through preparing for this, uh, Lord, let your spirit continue not just to lead me there, but the congregation and everyone listening to this, that we'll find ourselves at the foot of the cross. That's where we are we're to be. No further than the cross and no higher than your feet. That's where we live. Um, so, Father, um, uh, take us there. Let us see Jesus high and lifted up this morning. In Christ's name, amen, amen, amen. All right, so next month I will be 58 years old. Thank you. Um, but the older you get, the less you, you know, you don't need birthdays to remind you how old you are. I'm reminded every morning. <laughs> You know, I'm reminded every morning, something else, something new hurts. And, you know, the older you get, I mean, sleeping, I get injured sleeping now. Um, but that, you know, we get old. Things, you know, people get old. I, I think that's just part of the deal. Um, and so, you know, now too, I mean, I'll walk into a room and I don't remember why I walked into the room. But people get old, right? Right. Uh, Things get old. My wife and I, we still sort of haggle over, um, like, when do leftovers get old? You know, I think her over-under is two days. Mine is two weeks. You know, I mean, like the soup that we cook, we should be able to eat on it for the next week. But we still argue. But people get old. Uh, Things get old. Um. Institutions, um, organizations can get old, too. Uh, I had a seminary professor 
Uh, actually, Alex and I went to the same seminary at different times. We had the same professor. And I don't think I've ever asked Alex about this, but I will. But um, see if he said the same thing in his class. But uh, there was sort of a rule of thumb that our professor had for the institution, like a seminary. His thing was, he said, look, it, it takes about 100 years, and a seminary will become liberal. It'll start off orth- with orthodoxy as the base but in, on average, about 100 years, it'll start to lose its way and kind of veer off its original intent. And if you go back and you look at the seminaries across the country, and then you can sort of see that happening. And that's, if you wonder why there's so many seminaries, it's sort of that reason. But institutions, organizations can grow old, lose sight of the original vision and that sort of thing. So, you know, people, things, organizations, uh, institutions can get old. Relationships. Uh, can grow old. Um, been in ministry long enough where I've talked to couples, and usually when they want to see the pastor, it's kind of over um, at that point. But they'll come in and we'll start talking, and they'll say, you know, and, and, and you know, you'll see that that uh, that pattern kind of goes like this. You know, we raised our kids; they got a little bit older, and then they were out of the house, and it was just us, and we just kind of grew apart sort of fell out of love. And I, that, is, that is the biggest lie in the world um, because really what's happened in that situation is that one or both didn't put forth the effort to honor their vows. I mean, that's the bottom line of what happens. They, one or both are not putting forth the effort to honor their vows. Um, and so that's kind of how relationships, and in particular marriages, can grow old. And um, I think all of us can sort of relate to this. Even our Christian walks kind of grows a little old. We, we, here's how we say it. We say it's, we're sort of in a desert time. You know, sort of like we're spiritually dry. And our relationship with God grows a little old, a little cold. And we, we sort of struggle with that. And, and even as followers of Christ, though, our identity, our part of our identity is associated with the local church too, right? And so as our relationship with Christ grows old and cold, our relationship to the local church, the church body, can grow old and cold. Um, even as the local church as an institution can kind of lose its way, sort of things become old and cold, and then it affects the congregation, and then it's just this cycle takes place. And so um, as I thought through these passages and looked through, I felt like I, I, there was this, I noticed that maybe that was kind of what was going on. Uh, let me explain that. Um, the heart of the parable of the vineyard and the, the tenants in the vineyards that are the, the tenants that are manning the vineyard, um, the, right at the heart of it, Jesus is really addressing the religious leaders uh, at that time. Because if you look at the whole chapter 21, that's kind of what's going on. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. And when Jesus' ministry, his, uh, or his public ministry began, the, the group that he had the most contention with were the religious leaders because they should have known better. They should have recognized him. And in fact, they, on some occasions, maybe most occasions, they did recognize him, but they, they were not going to pursue that. They were going to sort of take the truth and squash it. They should have known better. And he is, he is pointing out to them where the failure took place. And so the religious leaders are, are leading an institution, Right? They're leading the, the temple worship. 
They're, they're interacting with the people. They're saying, this is how you live for God. And something is broken. Something over the years, something has happened where it's gone stale and old or they've lost their way and they've replaced it with something else. I sort of visualize them because it's grown old. They walk into the temple and they don't know why they walked into the temple. All right, so he's addressing what happens when things grow old, when you lose the original intent. You don't know why. Why do you associate with Village Church? Why does Village Church exist? Why, you know, how, what, what, why am I walking with Christ? Why has it grown cold? Um, and so we tend to forget. We tend to forget. And so if you look back over all the things that happened in chapter 21, Jesus in one way or another is addressing uh, religious leaders who have, uh, you know, there's at one point where they become indignant. He, and because the children and the lame and the blind were rushing to Jesus and they were pushing back on that. It's sort of the old idea of like, hey, that's not how we do things around here. When an institution gets too old, that's what happens. Hey, that's not how we do things around here. Right? And so I think that's one summary for chapter 21 of how we could sort of say what happens when things grow old and cold. What has happened? So by the time we get to the parable of the vineyard, okay, uh, the main point that, that Jesus is pointing out here is something has happened with the leadership, and it's a disloyalty. The leaders in the church, the leaders in the temple, uh, have become disloyal, disloyal to their vows that they made with the owner of the vineyard, as it were, right? So they're, how they're serving God, they're becoming disloyal to what they covenanted with God to do. All right, so it's in this parable. I'm giving you a little heads up. And um, let's look at it in detail. And we'll start with verse 33, but sort of as a lead into this, I want to give you a spoiler alert. When we look at, starting in verse 33, of the vineyard, the tenants in the vineyard, God is the vineyard owner, right? I didn't need a seminary degree for that. I think most of you all know that too. You're just sort of, all right, okay. This parable, God is the vineyard owner. The tenants working it, in this particular case, are the religious leaders that Jesus is addressing and talking to, all right? And so uh, God's the vineyard owner. The, the religious leaders are the, the tenants that are working it that he's talking about. But here's the thing, and here's the real spoiler alert. At the very end of the parable, we're seeing where Jesus is saying, I'm going to give this, and by the way, the vineyard is the kingdom of God. All right, keep that in mind. He's saying at the very end, you guys, your relationship with God is broken, and as a result, the institution, the, the, the church, the temple is broken. I'm going to take it away from you, and I'm going to give it to other workers and they're going to go into the future expanding the vineyard, expanding the kingdom. And here's the thing. Here's the real spoiler alert. You and I, 2,000 years later, we are the new tenants. When, when Jesus reconstitutes Israel, that's what happened. He took it away from the leaders and the people, and he's, he's broadening it. He gave it to the keys of the kingdom, to the apostles, and they went out, you know, Acts you know, they went out and spread the gospel. And then 2,000 years later, here we are. We're in this parable. And I want you to see yourself in it because I saw myself in it and I didn't like what I saw. 
Okay, so let's, let's look at this. So let's start with verse 33. Okay, God's the vineyard owner. The tenants are the, uh, you and I now. We've got to think about it sort of like that. Um, and the vineyard is the kingdom of God. All right, verse 33. Hear another parable, Jesus says. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and then went away into another country. A couple things I would really point out here. Uh, uh, the part where it says it leased it to tenants, I want you to think in terms of, because this is a parable about the kingdom of God, and we have to think sort of biblically about all of this, like what's going on here. And so we want to think back, Old Testament, and just look back and think, yes, God does deal with his people in covenants. Um, he deals with his people in covenants. He builds a relationship. I will be your God. You will be my people. Um, and uh, we see a lot of the covenants showing up, and in particular, like Genesis 15, the covenant with Abraham, and then David, and it just sort of builds and builds and builds. And so that's what's kind of going on here. We need to think of like think about that. And I'll, I'm going to explain more as we go, but just put that in your hip pocket as we go. But um, the thing that also stands out about this is if we think about a vineyard, say 2,000 years ago, if I'm a person going to start a vineyard. There is a lot of cash outlay. You are doing a lot of, of anticipating your return. Because uh, as I did research, read through this, it's about four years before the, 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 the vine shoots that you got from a, a, a functioning uh, grapevine somewhere, and you planted it in your new place where it wants to grow and spread and all that. It takes about four years before any fruit shows up. But that's not the fruit that you can use. It's the next year. You need five years of this. And so if you're the owner and you're bringing people in and you're you know, leasing it to them and you're you know, setting up a contract, a covenant with them, you are taking care of everything. You're building the wall. You took care of that. You are funding the wall that's built around it to you know, protect the vines as they grow from the boars and the foxes. And you're the one that built, graciously built this uh, wine press and you built the tower that is there to guard against thieves during the harvest time. You're the owner. And so there's a picture of a graciousness of the owner that's bringing people in and saying, I will take care of you in this process. You do what you have been hired to do. And then we'll, that'll just be the cycle of us. And my graciousness during this five-year period before there's even a harvest, of which you will get a share because this is sharecropping. And there's all this... There's a thing that's going on um, just practically about a vineyard that you're building. And the idea is that after five years of this, there would be a crop that starts to repeat and grows on into the future. So there's this, you're anticipating, you're graciously putting out money, and you're bringing people in to care for it. And so um, it's good to keep that in mind kind of as we go through this and think about it. So it's a long-range vision for what the vineyard is going to do and what it's the wine it's going to produce and the people that will be in it and the future generations and how the wine will bless people. And just so this picture of the kingdom of God is this eternal, really amazing thing that goes on into the future. All right. So verse 34. Uh, when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruits. And the tenants took his servants and beat one killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same thing to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect 
my son. So this is a picture of what happened in the Old Testament. The religious leaders are hearing this. They are, they're, they're doing a couple of things. They're hearing this, and they know, oh, wait a minute. Okay, this is what's happened through all of the history of Israel and God's dealing with Israel. Um, they, they, they know, and this, this parable sounds familiar to them. They would be able to, even the, not just the chief priests and the religious leaders, but uh, other, any other Jews hearing this would be making a connection to the Isaiah 5, and we'll get to that in a second. But they're thinking about all that's happened up to this point. And so God has, the desire was to build his kingdom on earth, right? And there have been people tending it, Israel, throughout the years, and they've had an ebb and flow of how they serve God. They served him, and then they started to serve themselves, and they fell. And then God would send prophets. Um, prophets can be labeled uh, covenant prosecutors uh, to come and say, hey, this was the lease you signed. <laughs> You're not doing the work. And if you don't shape up, fix it, you know, get rid of the corruption, whatever's going on, there will be the stipulations and the repercussions that we talked about in the covenant. So that's what the prophets would do. And there was a history in Israel where they killed some of the prophets. So when Jesus is telling this parable, the religious leaders are going, oh boy, okay, this is us here. And later on in the parable, it makes it real clear. They knew Jesus was talking about them. Uh, so, verse 40, uh, verse 38. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. You know, Jesus is talking about what's about to happen to him. He's about to be killed. Um, and the uh, one commentator said about this that, like if the sun was showing up all of a sudden, that maybe the vineyard workers that were there saying, they, oh, here comes the sun. Ah, we haven't seen the owner since this thing started. I wonder if the owner is dead. And if he is, if we kill his heir, then we can take this to a court of law and we, can, we will be the rightful owners of this. So I think the judges will support this. So they're scheming. They're, they're so far removed from the original owner, the, the, the original intent, the lease they signed, they're just, it, the institution has grown old and cold to them. The vineyard, why they're even there, has grown old and cold to them. So they're devising their own schemes on how the vineyard should be run, right? You see how that's going on? Um, now, uh, what happens next is Jesus turns to the crowd and says, When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out, let out or lease out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. So that is, that's what is about to happen. This would have been a real recognizable story to the people listening to this. Um, it's not uncommon that there would be a vineyard owner that was kind of not always there. That's not unusual. Um, and they could have understood and, and really understood and related to this parable. But I think what we have to do is sort of ask, what has happened? Um, maybe what has happened in the heart of the religious leaders where they have gone so far away from what God intended? So like when Jesus cleared the temple at the beginning of this chapter, uh, it was in the court of the Gentiles where he was. And so the way that the temple was set up, 
really basically, you went through, and there was a court of the Gentiles. That's where anybody could be, Jew and Gentile. And then it started to narrow in, and it was the court of the women, and only Jewish women could be, and then it was just it got tighter and tighter until you could only the chief, uh, chief priest could be um, in the Holy of Holies. So the outer part of the temple where the rest of the world could interact with God had become a den of thieves, right? It just So the gospel, the truth had been obscured. Um, and so really the, the institution had really started to fall apart. Uh, God's intent wasn't happening. Um, and the vineyard uh, was taken over by tenants who forgot their vows. Is essentially what's going on here. So I would mentioned Isaiah 5. Because in Isaiah 5, we start to understand how things can grow old. How things can, like, a, the, like the, the church, how things can get old and how our walk can grow old and, and how that happens. So when we look at Isaiah 5, which is everybody would have recognized when Jesus started to tell this parable, oh, that's from Isaiah 5. Uh, and so when I read these first two verses, you're going to go, oh, that parable that Jesus said was from Isaiah 5. Listen. This is Isaiah 5, verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. Now the last sentence is this but it yielded wild grapes. Ah, so here we have a problem. The way the, the Hebrew word for wild grapes um, hints at this idea of stinking grapes. So the vineyards should have been producing this great fruit. The kingdom of God that God is establishing, everybody working it should be producing great fruit, great fruit, not grapes fruit, <laughs> great fruit, like nice juicy grapes. But there was stinking fruit. Something went wrong. So you jump ahead to uh, Isaiah, verse 7 of chapter 5, and this is what it says. It's almost explaining that what, the, what, the, what it means. And this is from Isaiah, and so now when Jesus retells this and, you know, and retells it, uh, some of the names get changed or the people get changed. So listen. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, uh, because the kingdom of God is people. Right, And so at this time in Isaiah, uh, the kingdom of God was Israel and Judah. The, you know, it, was the, it was the people of God. Um, so it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. But here's the thing. He, God, looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So he was saying he looked for juicy grapes, but he found stinking grapes. Something happened to the institution. Something happened to the relationship to God so that the expression of the kingdom of God on earth was beginning to become corrupt. So the answer to is like, well, why? How does that happen? What happens in an institution, an organization, our own hearts, our relationship with God, so that relationship grows cold? You know, and as a bonus... Why do our marriages start to grow cold? They're, they're interlocked, by the way. And they're interlocked, and I'll see if I can explain it. But the, what happens in Isaiah, though, is there's, a, there's an understanding that things have gone south. 
Things have grown old, so the institution doesn't reflect what it was intended to do. So Isaiah gives six woes. I'm not going to give all six. I'm only going to pick one. But he explains what has happened, you know, why there's not the kind of fruit, why there is stinking fruit and not juicy grapes. Here, here's one of them. There's six of them, but there's only, we'll only look at one. Verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Wise in your own eyes, shrewd in your own sight. Uh, one commentator, Ray Ortland, called what's going on there misplaced self-confidence. I would sort of go and say, it sounds like there's a lack of humility. You know, a sure end to an institution, a sure end to an organization, a sure end to a local church is lack of humility in the leadership. Lack of humility. A misplaced self-confidence. And Ortland goes on to say this, that grace thrives when we feel how urgently we need to be saved from ourselves. That grace thrives when we see how urgently we need to be saved from ourselves. And see, when we think of the vineyard, how the vineyard owner began, he's graciously lavishing upon us uh, all that we need, everything. He provides it. He puts us in the vineyard through a covenant that he made with us. He puts us in the kingdom of God. He provides all we need, and he says, now work this, because this amazing fruit's going to be produced, and that fruit is going to become an amazing wine that from all forever will just keep going and keep going and keep going. And if I were to jump ahead and say, yeah, it's in the new heavens, new earth, it just keeps going and becomes beautiful and amazing. We're part of that. We're in that vineyard. That's you and I. That's who, what we do. We're in this. That's us. And so humility is the fruit, is a fruit. It's not the only fruit, but it's a fruit that should be showing up. It's we need to uh, let it thrive in us when grace thrives, when we see how urgently we need to be saved from ourselves. One great illustration is, uh, some of you are probably familiar with this, but uh, G.K. Chesterton, that, that, that Roman Catholic author, amazing guy, wrote amazing stuff uh, in the early part of the 20th century. And he uh, was a prolific writer. And the, New, the London Times uh, sent out an inquiry to famous authors. He wanted them to... He wanted, he wanted to ask a question and say, hey, write an essay and tell us what you think the answer to this question is. And the question was, what's wrong with the world today? G.K. Chesterton got that, and he wrote back. Really short thing he wrote back. He just said this, dear sir, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. He got it. I'm what's wrong with this world. Hey, something going wrong in my church? I'm the reason why. <laughs> it's me. It's my heart. It's my lack of humility. Um, and it's a misplaced self-confidence. I mean, we could talk about a lot of things. Why is it? That's the stinking fruit, misplaced self-confidence. And it's just one of the reasons why relationships, oh gosh, <laughs> yes, relationships can break apart. It's that self, selfishness, right? It's that misplaced self-confidence. It's that lack of humility, and so we went all the way to Isaiah 5 to find that out. We bring it back into this parable. We ask, well, what happened to the church? What happened to the temple? What happened to the leadership? One of it was the lack of humility. And Jesus was trying to demonstrate you need to be humble when he rode in on a donkey in the beginning of chapter 21. 
It was a humble position he took. That's the position we are to take as workers of the vineyard. All right, so back to Matthew 21. Uh, Jesus leaves Isaiah 5 and goes to Psalm 118 because he talks about the cornerstone that's rejected, starting in verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruit. There it is, right? It's going to take it away from you. It's going to give it to us, people in this room. 2,000 years later, we're working the vineyard. But Jesus is the rejected stone that became the cornerstone. So now it's sort of shifting to a building. And I like to envision that that building is on the vineyard. Maybe it's the tower, right? I'm just, I'm just riffing here. Uh, um, but Jesus, the rejected uh, stone, became the cornerstone of the building. We're the building. He is what's holding us together. There's all kinds of other analogies. He's the head. We're the body. He's the groom. We're the bride. There's the marriage thing, right? I knew I was, I told you I was going to tie marriage and relationship. I, I'm going to bring it into this because it's all the same thing. But Jesus is holding us together. That cornerstone that was rejected, he's holding us together. And he, he'll never let us go. And so there should be fruit, right? Because Jesus said, I'm going to take it away from this group. I'm going to give it to my new group. They're going to run into the future, and they're going to produce fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, let's just do what we did in Isaiah 5. How about humility? I mean, let's just pick that one. So when Paul says in uh, Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Look not, you, you should, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. Let's just start with humility. Now look how the parable ends. Verse 44. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. When it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So, you know, lack of humility, uh, the disloyalty to the vows, which should be producing fruit, of which one is humility, uh, there are consequences. There are consequences. So verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And oh, yes, he was. And by the way, we throw ourselves in there. He's speaking about us. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowd because they held him to be a prophet. That's another. The leadership, boy, they just, they, that's another thing that Jesus pointed out in all of chapter 21. They just, they lacked integrity. You know, when they, when they asked Jesus, hey, who was John's baptism? Was it from heaven or man? They're like, well, no. They knew. <laughs> They're like the fool in the Proverbs. A fool in Proverbs is someone who knows the right thing to do but doesn't care. They had become fools. They knew. And then, you know, they, they saw Jesus, but everything that they were getting from the institution, they wanted to hold up. They wanted to keep their power. They wanted to keep all the benefits. And so they just turned a blind eye to Jesus. All right, here we go. Let's wrap this up. I want to get to the table. What do you do when your relationship with a local church, how about with this village, has grown cold? Your relationship back has grown cold and old. And chances are your relationship with Jesus has grown cold and old too. What do you do? Well, I would say it's the same thing you do 
same thing you do when you find yourself saying in your marriage, well, I guess we've just grown apart. We just fell out of love. What do you do? You remember your vows. You remember the covenant you took with your bride. You go back and you remember your vows because that's all you've got in a marriage. You took vows. And it's the same thing with how we relate to God. You re-up your effort to keep your vows. Same thing with God. See, you're working in the vineyard because you've placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus. You've placed your faith in the fact that he lived the life you couldn't and died the death you deserved. See, that truth is what melted your heart in the beginning. It's what melts your heart now. Because the vows you took were, I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. You know, I'm going to love God with every ounce of my being, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. Hmm. How's that going? So you go back to your vows. The lease you signed. The covenant you entered into. And I mentioned Genesis 15, the covenant with Abraham. Let's go there for a second. Because that's where we go back to what God promised. When he established his kingdom, the vineyard, part of the lease, part of the covenant that he made with his people, now us can be traced back to the covenant with Abraham. And so what he did with Abraham was, Abraham was concerned he wasn't going to have a kid that God promised him. Uh, The heir that would pass on, that he would grow. And God said, you can trust me. In fact, why don't you come with me? Let's go outside and let's look up. I'm going to show you the sky. You know, there was no sky pollution, so there was like tons of stars. And so he says, look up into the sky. He said, your offspring, you're going to be a great nation. Your offspring, your, your lineage, your spiritual offspring, every, you know, everything, the, the workers of the vineyard are going to be so massive, you can't even count them. I promise you, I will do that. I will do that. And so to... to Solidify, to, to ratify this, to, to make it so, the ancient Near East, they did covenants. They would cut a covenant. They would, they would take animals, literally, cut them in two and spread them out. So there was like blood was you know, rushing between them. And they would, so if I was going to be in a, an agreement or a covenant with this person here, I'd say, all right, here's what I'm going to promise to do. And if I don't do what I promise to do, may I be like these animals. I mean, this is how deep this covenant is. I want to, you can kill me. I will be like these animals. And the other person says, yep, I will promise what I, I will do what I promise to do. And if I don't, I'll become like these animals. And the other thing they would do, they would walk together through it. Sort of, sort of, that's like the signature, right? You know, the, the notary public, right? I wonder like if notary public, if that's what they had to do. They had to cut the animals back then. I don't know. <laughs> but um, they would walk through it together. Now, what happens in um, Genesis 15 is astonishing. Because look what happens when the description of them walking together happens. You can just notice somebody's missing from this. When the sun had gone down, this is Genesis 15, verses 17 and 18. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a picture of God. That's an image. You know, that's God revealing himself in that vision. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, uh, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So 
only God walked through between the animals. And that's significant. Um, I learned this from, um, you know, most PCA pastors now have a Tim Keller quote in their sermon. Um, I'm no different. But these are from some notes that I had. I can't remember where I got it. I'm just going to read it straight up because it's so good. And I promise you, we're just about to end. We're going to end up right there here in a second. This, this, is, this is Tim Keller. This is nothing short of astonishing. When God does not call Abram, Abraham through the pieces with him, it is tantamount to God saying, I will not only pay the penalty if I fail to do my part, but I will pay the penalty if you fail to do your part. I would rather be torn apart than see my relationship to you be broken. And of course, Abram had no idea what this promise and oath would cost God. Years later, Isaiah understood the implications when in Isaiah 53, he said to the Messiah that he would be cut off from the land of the living as he paid for his people's sins. To be cut off was the covenant curse. God really would become as those animal pieces when he was broken, speared, and pierced on the cross. You know, it's like when Jesus is saying to us, I will be what I promise to be, even when you're not who you promise to be. That's the beauty of what God has done for us through Jesus. And so instead of being crushed by the cornerstone, as we read in, you know, in, in the parable, Jesus was crushed. I mean, he was crushed for us. He took our punishment. And you know what? We got to stay in the vineyard forever. We are vineyard workers forever because of what Jesus has done. It will never grow old, ever. We let things get old. We forget our vows. We forget the meaning. We forget to put the forth the effort. And I learned by with counseling couples, when they come in, and it's at their end of their, when they're at the end of the rope, I don't ask them to say, well, tell me what he did wrong, and then you tell me what she did wrong. I'll say, listen, what we're going to do is I want you to go back, and I want you to tell me what it was like when you all first started dating. Tell me what that was like. Talk to me about what you loved about her. Tell me, describe that first date. Describe me how you felt. Because what that does is it puts you back to that place where it all started, the thing that melted your heart. And you can't stay mad at somebody when you remember that, remember that, right? And so because we forget what we did to earn the feeling, right? You went out of your way. You put forth the effort. And it, was, it just felt good, right? And we received what we, from the other person, what they gave us. That it just, it's, it's just an amazing thing, right? We forget and we get self-centered. We suffer from misplaced self-confidence. We let things get old. We forget our vows. We forget the meaning behind it all. But here's the deal. Jesus never forgets. He doesn't forget his vows. He doesn't forget why he loves us. And that's why this never gets old if you remember your vows. You start by remembering you broke them. You're the one who put Jesus on the cross. I was the one who put him there. But he was there. He was seeing what we would do with our lives. He saw the mess you would make of it. He saw the broken promises. He saw the sin, but he stayed anyways because he wants you to be on the vineyard with him forever and ever, drinking the, the wine 
of, of his joy. Jesus is the vine, right? We're the branches. We forever, forever will be with him. And this time, this short time, it's like that five-year period before the real harvest. It's short. There's no sacrifice you and I can make for the kingdom that will be too much if we remember our vows, if we remember the vow keeper, Jesus. Let's pray and come to the table. Heavenly Father, uh, you are so kind to us. You are so kind. You, as the vineyard owner, made a way for us to be part of your um, as part of your people that work the vineyard and to be with you. You made a way. So, Lord, thank you. And, Lord, as we come to the table now, I pray that we would see Jesus high and lifted up and understand what this truly does represent. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I think uh, everybody has like a little cup, like a uh, sort of all one and done kind of thing, everything. And I think evidently pulling that little thing off is going to be kind of hard. So go ahead and do that while we get this started, just so that it's a thing that happened. Um, this is cool. This is the first time I've ever done this. So um, I love it. I love it. Okay. These are the words of the institution of the Supper of the Lord. Paul writes them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I received from the Lord that which I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes. You know, I, um, the, the vineyard, right, that imagery, there is, Jesus is looking forward to this time again with us. So, like, when we take place, when we do this, um, when we are in the new heavens, new earth, when we are with Jesus, it'll seem familiar. We'll know this. We'll know it when we're with him um, because he is present here now. He'll be present there. It is a beautiful thing. It is the, the wine that Jesus is preparing from his kingdom, and we're working it. And the glory of what will be, new heavens, new earth, the marriage supper of the Lamb forever and ever and ever and ever will be so glorious and so amazing but you and I will go, I know this. It's because of what we do here now. And so um, the, the way that we like to talk about it in our circles of PCA, right, we say if you're a, um, a believing Christian, if you have rested your hopes completely in the finished work of Jesus, uh, if you have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, maybe not even in a PCA church or you know, a Presbyterian or whatever, but you have uh, confessed and you've professed your faith. Uh, you know, maybe you know, and maybe you're a member, and you should be maybe a member of another church. It doesn't matter if it's not Presbyterian. Uh, but we want you to be resting completely in Christ and been very public about your faith. We would say, welcome. Um, I don't know if anybody's here thinking about Christianity and what it's all about, but. Um, you know, usually, you know, you, the, the bread and the wine would come by, and I would tell you that hey, rather than taking the bread and the wine, take Jesus. Receive him. 
he, look what he's done for us, right? Um, he was crushed for us because of what we've done for him. But take him. Let's give thanks in prayer. Father, um, thank you that we have this meal, that this meal is a foretaste such that when the glories of the new heavens, new earth, uh, the, the, our expanding definition of what a true feast is, we will say, I know this. Uh, so, Lord, thank you that you've given us this picture of your broken uh, son, the blood that was spilled, the way that was made for us to be in the vineyard and with you forever. Lord, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll break the bread. I'll um, talk about what the, the, the cup means. And then we'll just all eat together. How about? Um, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks. And then he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In a like manner, Jesus took the cup and having given thanks, as has been done here this morning. See, this, is, has, this goes way back and this goes way forward. He gave thanks and then he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let's enjoy the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we are so thankful, so thankful that we have this foretaste. And as workers of the vineyard, Father, let us remember our vows, our covenant. Let us recall that we are the ones who broke your covenant. But Jesus, you are the one who became broken for us. You, you never broke your covenant. You always keep your promises. So, Lord, thank you that we have the body, the broken body of Jesus the spilt um, blood to make a way for us to be in your presence forever. We are so thankful. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now let's go, fellow vineyard workers. Let's go and live for him, the covenant keeper, the owner of it all, so that the fruit of humility would just pour out of our veins. In Christ's name.